Hey, Christopher. Hey, have you ever done any hitchhiking? I have not done any heroin. No, no, I understand your confusion, but I do truly mean getting a ride from one place to another in someone else's car. Oh, never in my life. So, hitchhiking's not in vogue anymore. Um, it used to be very popular. Right. And there was a fun little game that people used to play. It was a mm-hmm. rhyming game. When you would get in their car, they would say, blank, gas, or grass. Uh, okay. Blank was another rhyming right. word. And what they were saying is that if you want a free ride, you either have to pay for some gas, which we still do this today on road trips. Yes. Uh, you have to provide me with illicit cannabis. Yes. And or you could provide me a sexual favor. Ooh. Um, which I just have been thinking about that this week because here in the, the peach state, mm-hmm. I ha- I have, I've had to sell my, sell my body to, to locate locomote. Um, I'm not very proud of it, but I cannot get any gas in my car. Oh, Oh yeah. Because all the gas is, people are going to think people are going to think something. I mean something worse than what I mean. Sure. Uh, what I mean is that I w- I've been having to perform roller, roller skate dancing. Yeah. Um, on the side of the street to try to a- attract motorists to my location so that they'll take me to the piggly wiggly where I can buy groceries. Sure. Um, I've been praying to the gas fairies every night and sure the enough gas fairies. Yeah. You, you, yeah, they're real. Um, you can't tell me they're not. Yeah. It and sounds like a garbage pail kids card. The it, gas does. Fairies. <laughs> it does. It um, does. And magically my gas tank is never uh, below a quarter full every day when I go to it now. So that is I, excellent news. Yeah. 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 Um, so you, I'm all did you out hear? of blood. Uh, <laughs> Hunter, nobody needs blood. Yeah. Um, only the five essential parts of the human body, uh, which yes. I don't remember from a previous episode. Sure, um, sure. So, so apparently this this gas shortage, and it's going to happen all over the East Coast. Apparently, is the result of a ransomware attack, mm-hmm. which is hilarious to me. Uh, because if you know anything about how how those attacks work effectively, it's a fairly light form of blackmail where they're they're infecting your system and they're like, but if you give us you know five hundred dollars in eBay gift cards, right, right, then we'll stop the we'll stop the attack. So somebody clicked on a link in an email. It's just so funny that that we live in a world where. A hacker group called Darkseid, which is just like the most edgelord thing of all time, can is actually that, actually make me not be able to go to the grocery store. Is that really their name? Darkseid. Dark wow. <laughs> like the Superman villain. Or Dark his name might be Darkseid. No, these these are Kingdom Hearts kids for sure. Oh, fair. Fair enough. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, Welcome to Caro Pooling, uh, a show where you don't have to worry about gas shortages because you're already saving by ride sharing with people that you have uh, similar and beautiful ideas to. It's a show about religion, politics, philosophy, art, science, etc. ad nauseum, and all of our opinions are guaranteed to get you fired, so please listen in the comfort of your own home only. Uh, Hunter, a big week for carpooling. Who? Huge week. Huge week. Uh, we've, we're going to go, we're going to take a break from some of the hot and some of the heavy and uh, discuss a little discuss a little art, a little cinema, if a little you will. Cinema, yeah. We like to do these shows because 
the world can get pretty gross, and this show tries to be about more things than just that. In fact, you know, I think the original joyous goal of this show is trying to achieve a world where right, left, uh, and all the different divides of the human condition that you can imagine, you can imagine, have a safe place to converse with one another, and. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily mean a safe place, but you know that 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 would become a more accepted thing in society. Um, yeah. So, so and then we gave up on most of you immediately. That's uh, gave up on all of you. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't deserve that kindness. Uh, so, but but this is this is one of my favorite things we do on the show is is to take a break and look at something that is uh, interesting in the world of art. So I'm yeah. I'm excited for this today. Yeah, me too. Me too. Also, thank you to all of our new subscribers. We see you out there. Thanks for joining up at the Carl Pooling Army. We are about to break a major milestone in listenership, mm -hmm. uh, so I won't spoil that here, but very, very exciting indeed. Hunter's tattoo looms ever closer. We're now, we're now closer to Hunter getting a tattoo than we are to Hunter not getting a tattoo. We are over the 50% mark. Um, so if you, want, if you want to watch a live stream of him under the needle... Tell your friends, tell your family, and we appreciate those of you that have done so already. All right, Hunter, before I break out into another another um, disco fever boogie woogie here on my, my two-by-twos, right. go ahead and hit us with the roadkill. Right. So this one um, comes to us from our favorite establishment, Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Um, I know oh, how they the mean mighty all, have fallen. I know how they mean so much to you. Um I, I is it Fire Marshal Bill? Is yeah. that that? I mean, why do the good die young? You know, it was so sad when Jim Carrey left us. Um, anyway, <laughs> he really did though. Yeah. I know he's still technically alive, but he has been gone for a long time. It's really sad. Um, so, Christopher, if you didn't know this, uh, Elon Musk was on Saturday Night Live, and uh, he did something that you are not, and I mean not allowed to do. Uh, so here's our headline. Uh, people are so desperate to be conspiracy theorists, they thought Elon Musk was flashing neo-Nazi signs on SNL. Hold on. Okay. Hold I'm, on. I'm just guessing it was the okay sign there. It was. In fact, what Elon Musk did is at one point during while he was on the shows, he flashed uh, the okay sign and then spun it underneath for some kind of weird M sign, if you will. Uh, and... Now people are saying that this was because uh, Elon Musk was uh, telegraphing to the neo-Nazis, you know, that he supports them or something like that. So uh, just a absolute insane garbage that it's impossible to do the OK sign in polite society now because that will get you branded as a neo-Nazi slash white supremacist. So, yeah, I OK. To these people, have you ever actually met a white supremacist, like someone who is openly white supremacist who would make an open like hand gesture like that white supremacist they're not like yeah. the most intelligent people and and this idea that they're going to pick up on a dog whistle they've got this like secret cabal that includes their special secret handshakes it's not really true and it's not really even believable like like anybody that actually believes that is such a nimrod that either they would think that doing a secret hand gesture on television was stupid or they wouldn't be smart enough to pick up on it anyway it just doesn't make sense. Hunter, you know why I think people pick on Elon so much? Great hair. I think because he's African. Oh. I think it wow, makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm. I think I th I think a little a little ethnocentrism here. 
because <laughs> I, I think most people are just uncomfortable with a South African who's making so much more money than them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, anyone who, because I, I also heard that a lot of the a lot of the cast from SNL didn't actually even want to be seen on yes, the show with Elon because um, I think it's because I think it's because they're uncomfortable with African people. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I check mean, check your privilege, that's SNL. That's yeah, who they are. Real. That's, that's what who they like. are. I I don't understand why they act like that. It's yeah. disgusting. It is disgusting, Hunter. And uh, of course. <laughs> us conservatives love Africans of every stripe. So you're welcome to come and ply your trade and your, your hilarious electric cars that are charged by burning fossil fuels over here with us, Elon, anytime you'd like, you anytime, can, uh, buddy. you can land your rocket on my red planet any old day. Uh, yes. That sounded bad. And it was, um, all right. So anyway, SNL is dumb. They've been done for a long time ever since Chris Farley and Jim Carrey died in a, in a suicide pact together. Uh, that's look it's the world i want fake to news? live in okay even is if it it's fake news world. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so today we got an interesting topic for you like we mentioned it's art and it's actually kind of a surprising topic i i went to the movie theater and, <gasps> christopher yeah get this unvaccinated unvaccinated and totally unmasked there was a little sign <gasps> on the door that's like you have to have a mask to go in and i just thought yeah we'll see We'll see if that's a thing. It wasn't a sure. thing. Yeah. The the little, you know, 15-year-old took my ticket, and the glare that I gave the 15-year-old said, child, adults are doing adult things right now. Sure, yeah. Don't, don't do a child thing in front of me. Please um, don't. And he did not. Aw. And so we, uh, we walked right in and had a good old time. But we saw a movie, and it turns out that Hunter had already previously seen this movie. That's correct. In the comfort of my own COVID sanctuary uh, that I now refer to as my home. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. A COVID sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, and walking out of the theater, I was astounded because I just do not understand how this film got made. This is mm-hmm. the most, one of the most conservative films I've ever seen on multiple fronts. Um, right, yeah. And so we're going to talk about it. And it, it's an action flick. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a perfect film. It's not, by some standards, it might not even be a good film. But yeah. it is a film that is very entertaining, and it has a great message, and it has a good cast. And this film is Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk. So, Hunter, what were your like initial, like, what made you want to go see the movie? So, I'm, I have not seen all of the, well, I guess it's two things. When I saw the trailer was when I was immediately bought in. Um, and that is because one, I really like Bob Odenkirk. Um, I'm a big fan of some of his comedy plus, uh, his stuff with better call Saul and, uh, breaking bad. It's one of my favorite TV shows. And I think he's just, he's brilliant in that. And so I thought like that combined with the fact that, um, I haven't seen all the John Wick movies, but this was made by the same guys who did the John Wick stuff. Oh, really? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the directors or something. I, I don't exactly know, but the same people who were involved in John Wick did this. And I was like, well, you know, if you took basically John Wick and did it with Bob Odenkirk, that's a combination I love. So I sure. kind of was just like, I just want to see what this is just with that right there. That had me bought in. Sure. Yeah, I thought I just loved his answer. So in the trailer, they he's being interrogated by right. by you know some suits and he's beat up 
and it goes through a couple action sequences and they ask who he is and he goes i'm nobody and i thought that was a really interesting interesting premise. answer a really interesting premise um and i do have to say that the movie has one of the most engaging cold opens i've ever seen in a film it's really good it's yeah it's really good very stylized almost graphic novel-esque um in its in its editing and composition but it basically opens up and it wants to get across the idea that this is a guy who's past his prime who's not very happy with himself who's disinterested in his own life and it Mm -hmm. just goes through cutting the same the same couple of events monday tuesday wednesday and it does it so fast that you can't even really see what you're looking at and it's interesting too because even though the days change they use the exact same shots uh right. there's no yeah. th- there's little to no variation there, in some of them there's no variation whatsoever and there's little variation in the other ones and that made it so interesting because it was it was obviously you know not true it's not obviously it's obviously false that the same car is in the same position and honks at him on each day of the week right that's not real right but it it did provide some of this overwhelming sense of monotony mm-hmm. and it also it also started to show these problems that he was having in his marriage and his relationship because he would get into bed and every time he would get into bed there was a little pillow fort a pillow yes. wall built between him and his wife so that's kind of the scene here's the guy he's got a no a nowhere job and and a nothing job and he's got a a loveless relationship and his kids don't really respect him and that's just what he is mm-hmm. so i i thought that that part was really well done and then the film takes a drastic turn yeah and so the he's at home um and some burglars break in and they're trying to steal stuff. They're trying to find things of value. And you kind of see, oh, whoa, uh, this guy has this switch almost, right? Like he has, he knows stuff. He's Bob, moving through Bob the- Bob Odenkirk, yeah. Yeah, he's moving through the house like he, he knows what's going on. Uh, like he's been in a fight before. Uh, he's getting the jump on these guys a couple of times. Um, I think he, I, I don't remember if he- points a gun at anyone at this point or not um, but he definitely gets like behind people with like a golf club and is he about to a, swing at them yeah he has a golf club and he actually sneaks up these it, i think it was just random to answer your first point like i think it just randomly right. these people broke into his house I, that's in fact, right it says that they like open they kept held the garage door open with the pizza box by leaning a pizza box up in the gap so that yep. they could sneak in later and they're just looking for money and they end up taking his watch or something but uh effectively he, yeah you you see him kind of transform he grabs a golf club and he's sneaking around the house he's totally silent he gets the drop on these people and uh it, then this really weird sequence happens where his kid actually his son jumps from the like the top step and tackles the male intruder yep and then the female intruder who has a gun points the gun at his at the his son and mm-hmm. the switch flips back off, right? He sees something, and he decides not to attack these people, even though he's about to literally murder this woman with yep. this golf club. Yep. And so in all the commotion, he chooses to let them go. They take a couple of bucks and and his watch, and they 
move on, basically. And his kid gets hit in the face in the process. And the cops come up, and the cops are emasculating this guy. His right. family's furious at him. His son thinks he's a wuss, and his mm-hmm. wife thinks that he betrayed them. And yep. he just, you can see it, he just starts simmering. He starts simmering. And he gets this weird call from a buddy, and, and the buddy basically tells him, don't do anything crazy. Right. Well, he didn't yeah. listen. <laughs> No, he didn't listen. And also, I think it's like the next day, his like neighbor is next to him, and his neighbor is like saying, "Hey, you know, if that had been in my house." And he kind of has that reaction that we all tell each, tell each other we would have if somebody broke into our house. Yeah. Like, oh man, I'm just dying for this guy to come in here. I'll beat the crud out of him and all that. And he's like, "I, I wish it had been my house. I'd give him the old one too." You know. Yeah. He and said it's he, like, he says he could have used the exercise. And you're he like, could have used the a exercise. Doucher. Right, um, and it's it, it's it's typical guy talk, but it's also like the completely wrong uh, time to say any of that, if that makes sense. But right, it, it's really weird. So also, everybody is just beating him up. Yeah, go. It's not true either, unless you're a psycho. Like, sure, sure. I I've I've had times in my life where it's like I just want to punch something, and that you've thrown me back in a car before, Hunter, when I wanted to just <laughs> roast something. I think you remember. What, at least one of the times they're talking about, but sure. but the the I I was absolutely a hundred percent being a psycho. <laughs> like it's not right. it's not a healthy thing to want or a healthy thing to do. So it's it's a little bit of an unhinged thing to say. And we don't have to belabor the rest of the movie. But effectively, what happens after that is this guy goes on a rampage. He hunts down this couple that broke into his house and it becomes mm-hmm. apparent as he's hunting them down that he is ex intelligence. Sure. Or military, hard to say military intelligence. Um, and he goes on an absolute streak. He goes to their house and finds out that they have a little kid. So he feels bad about attacking them. So he leaves. And then on a bus ride home, there's a girl who is getting uh, aggressively hit on by a group of very drunk young men. Yeah, it's and, like five Russian. Well, one of them's Russian, and a couple of them are other races and uh, nationalities. Yeah, yeah. And he, you can see he's like, "Thank God." He 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 uses the old "God closes a door, he opens a window" line because he's like, "I'm yes. going to be able to get my aggression out on these guys." So he prevents this girl from getting raped um, by beating the mess out of these guys, and he gets all beat up, but he beats the mess out of these people and he's all happy about it and then it turns out that it's cathartic for him yeah yeah exactly and then it turns out that that is the the russian guy he beat up is the son or yeah. the nephew the whatever nephew cousin brother of this big russian mob boss so he gets embroiled with this with this sadistic russian gang um he steals a bunch of their money you know there's typical action movie escapades and then uh, his dad and his adopted brother get involved, and it's uh, just a whole—it's a whole thing. But in the in the sequence of that, there's some really interesting, like masculine and pro Second Amendment themes, and that's kind of what we want to talk about. So to start with, Hunter. I just think let's talk about the Second Amendment stuff in this movie because because you know this is a pretty big Hollywood film with a pretty big Hollywood actor. I mean Bob Odenkirk, 
you know, he he's on huge shows, but Breaking Bad is one of the biggest shows of all time. I sure, mean, right yeah. up right up there with with Game of Thrones and these other kind of cultural touchstones. Yeah, and, it just had a good ending. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> had a great ending actually. It's um, really good. I, I I had one way to make it better. My one way to make it better is when he you know they have that that um, machine that analyzes the methamphetamine and describes how pure it is as a percentage in Breaking Bad. I think so. It's been a minute. Take my word for it. They do. Okay. As, as, so as you're going through the Breaking Bad series, you realize that he's like Cranston is not really invested in even the game of selling anymore. He just loves it. He loves making he loves breaking the law he just fell in love with hit that life you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and everything else can burn around him but he simply has to do this it's his driving passion and the whole thing is like oh my gosh that's 98 percent pure that's 97 percent pure i've never seen a reading like that and Mm -hmm. when he's dying at the end and it starts scrolling up i thought it should have scrolled past the machine because he was cooking right at the end um but right before he got shot up and i just think that he should have been just analyzing a batch and it should have just showed pure a hundred. Right. And then he's dead. Just like you made it. So what? Okay. Anyway, just my little, my little fan edit. Yeah. That's Um, funny. I like that. uh, Okay. So he was also on a comedy sketch show with David Cross, which David Cross is like an incredibly bizarre lefty atheist loser. He's Um, made it into uh, roadkill before. That's right. He has made it into roadkill. Yep. You, you know what, Hunter? Let's take a moment just to give David Cross a one, a, one of our weekly 52 annual short walk. Or no, sorry. I'm so stupid. That wouldn't 52 work. 52 annual? <laughs> Hunter, if you had... No, 52 annuals, right? If you had a short Is walk it? on a long pier, that would just be pleasant. Yeah. That and would I just be nice. So That dumb. would be like life. For most of us. Yeah, that'd be like, oh, that was that was a relaxing vacation. I had a short yeah. walk on a long pier, plenty right. of extra room. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, a short pier long walk award to Mr. David Cross in perpetuity. Love um, it. All right. So anyway, yeah, so he's he's of this this Hollywood milieu and very successful in the television world. And he's in this movie now, and uh it's incredibly pro Second Amendment. In this film, he is ex-military. So, although he was a military man, and it's very obvious that he's trained in weaponry, right? He, yes. They make this case throughout the film that not only is it appropriate for civilians to own firearms, and lots of them, but it's appropriate for them to use them for self-defense. And that just seems like such a crazy thing to come out of Hollywood. One of the interesting aspects of the movie is that that the main character Odenkirk, who's ex mill, is not the only person in the film to own firearms. Yep. The, his brother owns firearms. His dad owns firearms. His adopted brother owns firearms. Uh, everybody has firearms. Not only that, they give uh, his brother in law gives him a firearm and he keeps it at work in the freezer, like not even yes. under lock and key. And I, uses it for self-defense later in the film. Yeah, so I thought, okay, did any did any element of that stand out to you? Because I thought that it was really weird the way that they portrayed guns in this movie, just because it's so different than how you normally see them. Yeah, yeah. I'm So, 
to me, having watched John Wick, right? Mm-hmm. John Wick kind of has that same flavor to it where this guy, I, John Wick was more, if I remember correctly, it has been a minute. I think he was a criminal, right? Like that's, that's his kind of deal. And so John gotcha. Wick has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guns and secret safes that he has to break open with sledgehammers and things like that. So there's a piece of me that that, that was kind of, oh, this is Hollywood, if that sort of makes sense. you know. Right. Um, but I, I see the point you're making because Bob Odenkirk's character in Nobody um, is much, much more residential, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. he got out of the game. He stopped being, uh, what was it that he calls himself? Uh, He's an auditor. Uh, an auditor, right. Yeah. And so when he stopped doing that, went back to civilian life, or was trying to, and still had all these firearms with him. Um, and the civilians in his circle, so to speak, uh, had, had the same had the same thing going on. The, the only thing that I would, like, I think that pushes against that theory just a little bit um, is the fact that the scene where his brother-in-law uh, gives him a firearm is extremely unsafe, right? Right. Uh, which, which was kind of it. Kind of makes me. This is my my kind of analysis there. Let me. You can tell me if this makes sense, but it's almost like, oh, this redneck hick doesn't know how to use guns. He shouldn't use guns. People trained in the military, like Bob Odenkirk, should use guns, right? I, I, I don't know. What, 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 how does that? How did that strike you? Was it? Do I have a different read on that? No, the same read, and actually, it's a good read because I think this that same that same system applies to the other aspect of the movie that we'll dive into a little bit later. Okay. This, this movie shows the dichotomy between the right way and the wrong way to go about a good different point. different independent tools or independent items or ideas it shows hmm. it, it shows several times that it is in the way that you use it and not just hmm. about firearms but certainly about firearms hunter hmm. this one thing you might not have caught when you watch the movie his brother-in-law is military as well that's right he is that's a good point because his son is writing a report on a military individual and he asks his dad if he can interview him so he can get it over with and the his Bob Odenkirk's wife says, "Why don't you ask your uncle? He actually he was an actual soldier. He actually saw right. combat." As she's right. undercutting and emasculating Bob Odenkirk, so it's not only that that he was also in the military, but he was he was unsafe with the firearm, yes. even though and and he he was even it seems at first in a more a more typical combat situation than Bob Odenkirk found himself in. Because when yes. Bob Odenkirk tells people he was an auditor, they think finances or accounting, and that's not exactly accurate. So I think you're exactly right. The dichotomy I see gets drawn between how he uses a firearm, which is to be an oppressive dickhead, and points right. it at Bob Odenkirk, which is against one of the major rules of firearm safety, even if it's unloaded. Mm. And... and the way that Bob Odenkirk uses firearms, which is to kill people that mean harm to innocents, right? Yeah. And kill yeah. lots of people that mean harm to innocents. Um, yeah. This this movie literally had the good guy with the gun scene. It had the good guy with the gun scene. This girl is on the bus. She's about to get raped. And Bob Odenkirk pulls a weapon. Right. Now, he then 
proceeds to empty his revolver of all of its bullets and beat them up the old-fashioned way. But still, it's the good guy with the gun concept, right? Like, I have this weapon to defend people and others and myself from people that mean to do them harm. And I thought that that was really interesting. And then later he uses guns at his house in a typical, you know... Home defense. Yeah, typical home defense situation where the liberal Hollywood media elite would say, well, just call the cops. He uses them to he uses them to defend his family because the cops aren't coming and they're not yeah. going to get there on time. Yeah, I, I am kind of seeing how like my... Or, have you seen the John Wick movie? I have not. Or the first... Okay, so I am kind of... What's good about this conversation for me is... So much of what I was seeing when I was watching this movie was John Wick. And it's Mm. very interesting seeing you watch it and kind of having this initial view of it because I was just looking at the artistic representation that they had used in the previous movies where John Wick basically performs home defense, you know, except the difference between the John Wick character and the Bob Odenkirk character that I'm kind of getting from this conversation with you is that, you know, John Wick's a criminal, right? Who's basically hurting other criminals. But the thing that's really interesting about nobody, right, is the fact that he's a he's a well-trained civilian, right? And so mm. he and so like there's this whole different angle that kind of gets shoehorned in here. It almost there's a part of me that wonders kind of going to the point that you keep making is how did this movie get made, right? Yeah. Maybe it was just like, hey, we got another John Wick story, you know, and they didn't really see the connection they were driving, but they did it. And sometimes, you know, that's that's the cool part about art is sometimes art le- kind of lets in the truth, these interesting, intriguing, uh, real stories, if you will, and not realizing that it's doing it sometimes because, you know, artists aren't necessarily aware of what they're uh, going out to accomplish. They're just trying to tell something entertaining, and what does that even mean? So Yeah, anyway. well, I, I think there's broader application to that. You know, there's a reason that no one watched the Oscars this year. They were down sure. over 50% viewership. It right. used to be that, like, do you remember that, like, The Dark Knight was nominated for an Academy Award? It's insane. It's that, absolutely insane that that happened. That was like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And now the movies that get nominated are movies that no one, to, nobody has ever seen. Right. And or they're Marvel all, movies. Well, they don't even get nominated by and large unless they're you're, about you're right. the Black Panther or whatever. I think, I think sure. that one got nominated. I could be wrong about that. But the, the movies that get nominated now are like The Shape of Water about like extra species incest, weird love story, and like <laughs> and like Call Me By Your Name, which is about grooming a, a child in a pedophilic homosexual relationship. And all awesome. of this bizarre stuff that no one watches, especially if your goal is to set out to tell an entertaining story. Entertaining stories are usually not preaching at people, which a bunch of the Academy Award movies are now. And in addition to that, they tell true stories because true stories are inherently entertaining. We're obsessed Mm. with ourselves and our condition and we like Mm -hmm. hearing other people talk about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think you're exactly right that when your goal is just to make a popcorn and M&M's action flick, you tell a bunch of truths that Hollywood typically wouldn't tell. Mm -hmm. And, and they've become so bloated in a lot of ways. I don't think they even understand that they're telling that story. Yeah. This is this is the same kind of thing I think we said when the Quiet Place came out. I don't remember if we discussed that yeah. on Carl Pulling itself, but it, it has that same it has that same vibe where it's like 
this very, very almost strong uh, Christ-like narrative that the dad portrays in that. And it's like, there's no movie. Right. It's like, how in the world did this happen? You know, where's no one paying attention, but kind of talking to you, I, I, I see that more and more from this movie. Um, so, so that's real interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the big, big Quiet Place vibes, because Quiet Place was, for one, they called the baby a baby while it was still in the mother's womb. And mm-hmm. then it was not just do we keep it, even though it's inconvenient, it's no, do you keep the child under the worst possible circumstances? And the answer, right. it, it wasn't even a question. It was an obvious yes. Um, right, exactly. That was, the, that was like the most pro-life movie that's ever been made, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and you're like, yeah, and you're like John Krasinski. Like, how did that happen? And maybe he's right. maybe he's a conservative guy. I don't see him him you know changing his profile picture to a black square very often. But anyhow, um, yeah, I, that's that's how I felt about this movie. Every and and you know what else was really great? His father, who turned out to be X Mill as well, but was a total geriatric, is right. able to defend himself with firearms, even though he's in a nursing home and can hardly walk and is totally decrepit he he defends himself from two much stronger men with firearms who break in and want to do him harm to get after bob obenkirk this is like the classic pro second amendment argument it is right it it makes you free it doesn't make you you're nobody's slave when you have a, a weapon and it doesn't matter how much how what at what differential the power is. It doesn't matter if it's multiple members of the Russian mob. The gun gives you a fighting chance. It's the great leveler in society, not the great inequalizer. Because if there wouldn't had, if there weren't for guns in this movie, an old man would have just gotten beaten to death by people who didn't care. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Right. Yes. It was really great to see Christopher Lloyd in this role as well, because yeah. it was. It is just it you haven't seen him in such a long time and also to have him play like this very bizarre quacky character uh similar to uh you know back to the future vibes it was it was just heartwarming too yeah uh, absolutely so so many times when he's just walking across the camera like me and Katie would just laugh at each other because it was just so comical um and obviously he was played up for for that role but it also just your point is being made clear here too is like you know they could have they could have not shown that right but they sure. did it and they and they chose to do it um christopher when he put his pinky on the other side uh, or between the hammer and the striking plate or whatever of the pistol did you just cry and wince and hate life for like 20 seconds like i did when you saw that happen because i had like a visceral reaction where i was like oh my goodness that is so painful yeah. like i couldn't handle it. it it was it was so ah it hurt it hurt my hands so I'll, much but. i'll tell you one thing is that because yeah. i think he was i think he grabbed the slide on somebody's 1911 style or, or yep. you know a similar automatic pistol and That's right the thing i liked about that is it totally works Yes, it does. Like if, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. if you do obstruct that hammer and you can do it with with your finger, um, in fact, that's one of the ways to safely decock a 1911. I say safely. You should unload yes. it first. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But one of the ways to moderately safely decock a 1911 is to obstruct that that hammer with, with your finger or with, with a block or something like that. Um, so I was really impressed with it for that because it wasn't one of these jokey things where he disassembles the slide right. while the guy's trying to shoot him, stuff that just isn't practical. Right. But he effectively does take the gun out of battery with just his hand. Now, 
I also have slammed that hammer down on my finger. And yeah, I was like, okay, that old man's finger is in multiple pieces at this point. Yes. But 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 I mean, it does, it's just his pinky, you know? So like, whatever. Right, exactly. He's, He's old. He doesn't have bones. Yeah. Um, so, but but you're right. It does work, and that that was kind of cool. That's one of the cool things too. I think about the. I'm just going to call them the John Wick movies. Yeah. Um, because they put so much care in like the training and the everything and the and the physicality of everything that goes wrong goes on. Like you're watching stunts happen, so to speak, right? Yeah. Um, well, they, I that, mean, these people are effectively operators by the time they get ready to film these movies. I mean, they are sure. There, you look at some of the training that that um, Wick did. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah, Keanu did, and it's he is just a beast. He's just incredible on the range now, which is really yeah. cool to see. A so. pacifist be that deadly? It's something. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm learning karate. Um, anyhow, <laughs> downloaded some Matrix programs to his his neck umbilical cord. No doubt. No doubt. So. That's always interesting. I always love to see a, a story that shows the benefits of self-defense. Mm. Let's get into the slightly crunchier topic, Hunter, because this is where I think this movie really shines. This movie has an imperfect plot. It's an action movie. Parts of it don't make sense. The pacing can be wrong at times. and it's Grandpa should have died 800 times. <laughs> yeah, it's skipping past... It's skipping past the reasons why to get you to more explosions yeah so you have to know that going in like if someone asked me should they go watch this movie i would ask them two things are you interested in movies with conservative spin uh, or themes and are you interested in movies that are just popcorn feel-good action flicks this says both yep but this this is the topic that i think transformed the movie in my mind a little bit to just an action flick to something we should discuss on the show. The okay. plot is so so. I actually don't I actually don't perceive the movie as a story with a plot. I think that it's a 95 minute dissection of what it means to be masculine. I think yeah, that the characters uh, yeah. and the plot in this movie are all trying to dissect that idea more than they are trying to tell a story. I think it is yeah. artistic exploration. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. And I can lay out a little framework for you and we can discuss what goes in it, into it. Okay. But I think that the movie effectively splits the male cast into four categories. And they're okay. in a quadrant. So, Thank you for telling me these categories before we started recording. I'll just pull up my list real quick so I can review your notes. Oh, yes. you Help. <laughs> Help, Chris. Help. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know I was going to get scientific on it. Um, I didn't. But it won't, it won't be too difficult. But it is a quadrant. So we've got two rows sure. and two columns to make four categories. Let's, All right. Let's call the rows effective and ineffective men. You have okay. men who have the efficacy to enact their own goals okay. and men who do not. Yep. In addition to that, you have good and bad men. Men okay. whose goals are pure and men whose goals are impure. Okay. And that all of the characters in the movie fall into one of those four categories in my estimation. Some of them are occupied only by one or two characters and some of them are occupied by throngs of nameless, nameless henchmen. So the interesting thing 
is that the star of the show, Bob Odenkirk, falls solely into the category of effective men with good intentions, with pure intentions. Sure. And effective in this movie, and I think more broadly, is often violent. It's often yes. aggressive. It's mm-hmm. toxic in many aspects. It's the ability, it's the, it's the physical and mental ability to wreak violence upon your adversaries. Mm-hmm. And Bob Odenkirk does that. Now, the effective man with impure intentions is the Russian mob and the leader of yes. the Russian mob. They are good yes. at what they do. They are intensely violent, but they are only in it for themselves. That, that scene where he kills that guy who he doesn't know, right, just to make the point that just he could kill people, yeah. right? It's, it's, like, perfect because it's, like, he just, do, he just does it. He's extremely effective, but it's extremely horrible. Um, right. So, anyway. Then moving down the list, I think you have the ineffective men with good intentions. Mm-hmm. I would say Bob Odenkirk's father and his adopted brother also fall into the first category, effective with good intentions. Yes, um, I agree with that. Ineffective with good intentions is actually Bob Odenkirk's son. The son who tackles the robber uh, yep. when, during the break-in. He's got good intentions. He's trying to protect his family. He's trying to keep them safe. Yep. However, he's too small and, and too unskilled to do what he'd like, which is to, to physically dominate the individual Attackers. who broke into his house. And he resents himself a little bit for that and he takes it out on his dad uh Mm -hmm. in a way but he has some resentment over the not over the fact that his intentions were impure or the fact that he could not affect the world with his intentions and he believes his dad is somebody like that too right he he thinks his dad is just the same as he is and he resents the fact that he's going to be like his dad i I think it's the right way to read his character yes i agree and then the fourth quadrant is ineffective men with impure intentions. And these are people like the father-in-law, the brother-in-law, and the neighbor, right? These people who are just, oh, he should have come to my house. I'd have, I could have used the exercise. I'd have roughed him up. But he's just a, a jackass and a loser and mm-hmm. a blowhard. And mm-hmm. as, soon as, the, as soon as the pedal hits the metal, you know he's a runner. You know? And they, they almost prove it to you in the movie. Um, Do you put the stock thugs into that same category as well? I kind of put them into, like, the ones who go in and die for the cause, I kind of put them into the same category as the Russian mob. I kind of just loop all them together. Okay, so they they are trained, so to speak. They're effective at getting shot by Bob Odenkirk, essentially. I mean, mean, they they meant what they said, right? Sure, 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 sure. At a minimum. Um, Sure. And I I think that that's an interesting part. So that's the framework. Uh-huh. That where how the movie discusses masculinity. Do you do you see where I'm coming from? Do you do you under, yes? Do you no, think that I'm, I'm, covers the characters. Uh, in, in, by that framework, yes, and I think it does a pretty good job of explaining the differences between everybody. Okay, cool. So now let's talk about the states. Okay, mm-hmm. because when the movie starts, Bob Odenkirk is unhappy with himself. Mm-hmm. He's in a loveless marriage. And he doesn't have the respect of his son. That's the initial state of the movie. Not right. only it's, that, but his, he, he's not able to save his daughter's kitty bracelet from a couple of simple thugs. And he, he has the uh, option to sit idly by while a woman is raped. 
Right. That's the state of the world when Bob Odenkirk starts the movie. It's the state of the world where he is choosing to not be effective with his intentions. He's choosing to keep his sword sheathed effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And he talks about it very directly at a certain part of the movie. Hunter, do you remember the scene where he's talking to his wife and he says, I might have swung too hard in the other direction? When he wanted to yes. get out of the military and get out from being this super violent auditor, you know, this shadow of death. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he has, he even discusses very directly like, hey, I think I went too limp wristed on this, which mm-hmm. is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Let's... I think there's, I, I think there's like this, the cold open is like really interesting here, right? Mm-hmm. Because. I think a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna describe two scenes because I think this kind of gets a little bit to what you're saying is, um, there the cold open. I feel like everybody identifies with right that that is a man with a job right or yeah. or a woman with a job is just the drudgery of having to rinse repeat your week and never see anything new out of it right and to sacrifice for a family that in some ways you continuously fail for. Right. And to see um, and that you can never be the person you want to be to them. Like until you learn to inculcate meaning and virtue in your life, I feel like that's most people's experience. And it's yeah. most people's experience even when they do that and they are, are just not making the conscious steps to like change in that. Um, Let me tack on to that before you move on to the second one, Hunter. Mm-hmm. There's a there was a really great part of that cold open montage where he's doing pull ups on the on the, the bus, bus station stop. and what's yep. so funny is that the bus stop has a picture of his wife who is a real estate agent as like the yeah. full panel ad and so he's doing yeah. he's doing pull-ups in front of her and she's continuously unimpressed with his effort and mm-hmm. that's both the real version of her and the the bus stop ad version of her is a really great explanation of that kind of that concept that you're getting at they did a really good job with that little I I prop, you know what I'm saying? Yes, very very artistic, um, v- great visual there to to communicate that with, um, and then there and then there's the scene on the bus, and and that's probably this the scene in the movie where Bob Odenkirk makes his worst moral choice. Um, I could be wrong there, and th- the equation there is. It kind of, it fits into what you're talking about. It's a good intention, right? Save the girl who's being threatened, right? Mm-hmm. He does that. But instead of using his weapon to calmly defuse a situation, he purposely disarms himself so that he can hurt these people that he knows he can hurt, right? Like, that's a moral failure if you're a, a, a warrior, a soldier, or someone who's more sophisticated than your opponents, right? A man right. doesn't do that, you know? And so, like... Now, what I found really interesting about that scene in this conversation you're talking about masculinity is my reaction to that as a man and my wife's reaction to that while we were sitting with each other on the couch. Good, because I wanted to get into this. This is exactly where I wanted to go. And to me, to me, for some reason, this scene is probably... I don't. I don't necessarily want to say my favorite, but it's the scene I get the most out of from this movie mm-hmm. because the gunfight at the end, as much as that is the good guys versus the bad guys, it's so like standard action flick. It just kind of is like du- water off the duck's back, right? Yeah. Um, 
And I, uh, that's not to say that mousetrap shooting shotgun shells through walls isn't cool, Chris, because it is. But <laughs> it is cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Um, but the thing that happened to me here was like in my very, very like uh, man brain, so to speak. It was these guys were bad dudes that were doing a bad thing, and they deserved everything they got right now, even if it was for the wrong intentions, yeah. right? And I loved it. I loved the visceralness of it. I loved how much those people hurt. You know, I, it's not my there. You know, I don't want people to die or anything like that. You know, and I, it's a, it's a movie too, so it's all drama anyway. Like nothing bad is happening, but everything that was going on the screen, I was like, yes, yes. I wish I could do that sort of thing. You know, and I know I've felt that way in my own life. Mm-hmm. And my wife sitting next to me is going, oh. Like the entire time, like having yeah. like visceral, I'm uh, having like, having like a visceral, like, like that's, that's so cruel. Why, how could he do that reaction to it? And I get that too, because, you know, there's a part of me too, that's like, oh my God, he just like cut that dude with that knife and he's dead. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's vicious to some extent. It's a very, very strong scene, but I also have the reaction of like, yeah, it's this not is shocking. what these people deserve. It's, it's the wild. You're like, good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's my reaction yeah. when I see it is like. Okay, right. good. Somebody needed to do it. And somebody needed to take this into their own hands and win this fight. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was glued to the screen while this scene was going on. Yeah. As yeah. soon as he turned around and they showed the, the straw, I leaned over and said, Trake. I knew that we were about to watch somebody get stabbed in the throat. I was like, I was there for it. I was like, let him bleed, let him let it hurt, let it bubble up the stupid bendy straw, you know? The- um, the one scene there too, Christopher, is when he gets thrown through the window and he goes back. He goes back and in. To, and to me, it's like, I, I know you know this just because, you know, growing up with you and something like this, but it, there's nothing sweeter, so to speak, when someone really hurts you and you go, all right, you know what I mean? Like, I've yeah. been here before. Let's let's go. You know, like, is that exactly. is that it, so to speak? And And this scene captured all of that. And like I said, I think it is the biggest moral failing from the hero in the story, right? But it is this, like comeuppance so to speak but why see and that this is what's key to understanding i think this whole discussion of the idea of masculinity that's happening in this movie sure why did he make that mistake he made that mistake he brought the gun he had that option available to him he brought it uh and he didn't use it and why did he make that mistake he made that mistake because he was not just denying his his past he wasn't denying his responsibility he wasn't denying his family he was denying his masculinity mm-hmm. what he was doing yes when he when he admits to his wife later i swung too far the other way yep was he was denying his masculinity and we see on the scene his masculinity is what the world needs and it's what he needs yes. and yes. the the little the tiny little girl who's about to get gang banged by these these five or six uh, gang bangers on the bus needs his masculinity right. and desperately wants his masculinity. The bus driver is also a woman, which they did on purpose, wants his masculinity, needs his masculinity. Right. Because she is completely ineffective at stopping these people from getting on the bus. Mm-hmm. And the reason he chose to do it in the visceral way and not the peaceable way is because he needed a fix. He, right, he was exactly. at a, a deficiency of testosterone, among other things. 
So he beats the crap out of these guys. He saves the girl. He saves the bus driver. He goes home. He's covered in wounds. He's stabbed. All of them, in theory, go to the hospital. You see them there later. And his wife is up. And she looks at him. And you can already tell what's going on. I mean, she is, oh, where has this been the past X years? (laughs) She cleans him up, stitches him up. He's finally able to be honest with her that he's unhappy with Mm -hmm. how she's been treating the relationship, which he wasn't able to be honest before. When he was bottling up his masculinity, he was also bottling up his needs. He's able to be honest with her. And the next thing that happens, dude gets laid. So is that a little Hollywood? Yes, it's a little Hollywood. But also, it's a little true. It's a right. little true. that. And here's the crazy thing. This woman who didn't, couldn't stand him, wanted nothing to do with him, was perpetually disgusted by his weakness, was absolutely enthralled at his violence. Right. What one might call his toxic masculinity was so attractive to this woman that mm-hmm. she, she, after years of a loveless, sexless relationship, she needed mm-hmm. him. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that's so accurate. That's Hollywood telling the truth about people and what they like, about men and what they are, and about women and what they want. Right. Nobody wants a pushover, especially not right. in a man. And that was right. such a good scene and such a good narrative element because it showed how men and women can work together. And it was instead of being like, well, we should do everything the same and I, everything you can do, I can do better. It was like, no. No, partnership. you want me to be a, a monster. You want me to be able to, to point, click, destroy. Mm-hmm. And then I need you to civilize that. Right? And, and to, right. to provide a place where, provide a reason to channel that for, for the good of us. Because right? they, they were both unhappy in the hyper-civilized state. Yes. Right? They were both. They were both. They both. They were both miserable, right? Um, he was miserable because he never had a had a way to let his masculinity out in a way that mattered. You know, he was constantly sticking his tail between his legs, whether it was at work or with his family or with whoever. And then she was constantly missing that uh, part of his personality, right? Constantly wishing for. Um, him to be the person that she had fallen in love with in her youth, so to speak, right? Right. And right. and 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 so they both didn't have that. And then it it was a mistake, but it was a mistake in the right direction, so to speak. And once that happened, they both saw exactly what you're describing here, which is the the thing that they desired from each other, right? And I think that's the thing, Christopher. That you know, there's a couple of things here. One one is the fact that you know as a religious Christian dude, right? right? Like one thing you should do with your life is you should do masculine, difficult things that God calls you to do. And you should do it with abandon. Right. And that should become the meaning of your life more and more and more. Sure. And, and I, I think, you know, that, that, that is what's going to do two things. One, it's going to save you from the, hell that we see a lot of men living in which is this nine to five experience where everything is everything becomes profit in your life right and how you can bring money home and that's good and it's important to be a part of that and some people actually find that experience uh, that i'm describing that meaningful experience there right but it's rare 
not a lot of people get that opportunity you know hmm. it's it's yeah. very it's very hard to have that happen there and i i think the thing that we need to be telling you know our our women too uh you know in the same aspect is you know it's you know maybe maybe the most important thing out of your life isn't a career and second maybe the most important thing in your life isn't safety you know and i yes. think i th- and i think i think both those groups of people need to hear that um so true and so well explained in this movie hunter because yeah in this film he makes them objectively less safe he goes out yes. to be masculine and people attack the home but here's the thing people had already attacked the home before he had gone out to be masculine. In fact, he went out to be masculine because some people had attacked the home. And he, he, but he brought more people. Now it wasn't just two nobodies who were looking for some, you know, some cash. Now it was the entire right. Russian mob. But here's right. the thing. It doesn't matter. The home is going to get attacked. It's going to get right. attacked with or without your help. What yes. we need is a man there when it gets attacked. What we need is right. a monster who can unsheath their sword when the time is right to be there. Because the attack you cannot control, but your response to the attack that you, you can. So he makes the home objectively less safe. He locks his entire family in the basement while he murders 17 people on the first floor, gets abducted, breaks out of a car, kills even more people, finds his way back home takes his daughter, covers her eyes, walks her out to the car, and then lights the whole home on fire to burn their not just their their body, but also their bones, right? Like, he makes them less safe and destroys their entire house. He literally destroys the iconographic representation of safety in front of her. And here's mm-hmm. the greatest part about all that. When she asks him before she's going to go off to, to a safe location for a couple of days while he finishes yep. his, his business with the Russian mob, she goes, yep. what's going on? He goes, I'm not going to tell you. You follow. You follow now. You don't get to be a part of this decision making. And I'm not saying that that's always right or always necessary. What I'm yep. saying is that when it called time for someone to take responsibility for the actions that were about to happen he was the one that was responsible for making the decision. And it was such a reversal from the beginning of the movie because at the beginning of the movie, she's got her face plastered up all around town and he's working for her father at some, Mm -hmm. you know, manufacturing job. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she's the breadwinner. She's the pants wearer, all of those things. And she was miserable for it. Miserable for it. And then at the end of the movie, he's, she's following him to the point where he just goes, just go and do as you're told, and then we'll talk later. You know, we'll work, you and I will work this out. We'll be partners later, but right now you got to let me do what I need to do. And, and at the end of the movie, he owns her father's business. Mm-hmm. The, the loser brother has been fired, and they buy a new house that they specifically say they're going to put a basement in it, which is a reference to the fact that they're going to have a home that they can defend. They're going to build right. a den for the monster. They're literally yep. in the picture of safety in the walled garden. They're incorporating a place for the beast that you need to have inside the garden to protect it. And they had both made that switch and they were in love with each other again. They were happy with each other again. They're hanging off of each other again. They were like children again in their mm-hmm. romance. And it was such an awesome thing to see that they mm-hmm. had learned to integrate masculinity properly, not only into Bob Odenkirk's life, but into their marriage specifically, and mm-hmm. it had made them both happier for it. It's a, it's a holistic rebuttal of the idea of toxic masculinity. And mm-hmm. it's just amazing to me that this movie got made. Um, 
I've, I, I, I want to I want to go back to I want to hear your thoughts and then maybe go back to the quadrant system to kind of explain explain the full argument. But I, I just the simple point I'm going to make is the fact that the reason that they could have that relationship where he could say you need to just do what I'm saying, so to speak, is because they had a relationship built off of trust. Right. right? And it was trust for what each other could do. Right. You know, and and that that's such a beautiful, complicated, wonderful topic. And, you know, the reason that you only get married to one person and why <laughs> that relationship is so sacred is because to have trust and that kind of relationship that they're talking about with one person is one of the is one of the most grueling things you'll do in your entire life. I, it's so funny to me when I have uh, my friends who are not married come and ask me questions like, you know, she's always so emotional and we'll have a conversation and two weeks later she'll want to argue about it. And, 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 you know, we already decided this. We already had this. And it's like you just don't understand. Like you just don't understand how it is for two people to interact with each other. And once you're married, then you kind of learn that, you know, like sure. how difficult and, str- and strange that is. But anyway, I, I just... I wanted to say that because it's, you know, we're saying the toxic masculinity a lot. And it's really that that relationship is built on a long 20 years or more between these two people of trust. And you just know that from watching them. Yeah. Um, well, anyway. and, and it's, you know, th- I'm not saying that, that a woman shouldn't be part of the decision-making paradigm. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that, that the, there are times, there are times when those who are responsible for the fate of the unit have to make the decision for the unit in a vacuum and they just need to be trusted and followed. That's what I'm saying. And it's right. Sure. It's right for the man to be making that, that those decisions. We are physiologically and mentally predisposed to take on those decisions and, and, and chemically disposed to take on those position, those positions, especially in the context of children and childbearing. Right. And child rearing. That, and, and here's what I'm not saying that we should deny women their desires. I'm saying that women who come around and say that you don't want a man who can take charge are lying to other women. This is in the movie. This is exactly what she wanted. She wanted mm. someone who could take control. She was tired and exhausted and, and unattracted to the concept of being in charge. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I'm getting at. It's, it's I, a, I, I, a call to conservative values for women, honestly. I completely agree with you. I think one of the reasons that women are just so much more fascinating than men uh, in the in the simple context is at sometimes uh, women have to be men, right? And that is when something terrible has happened, like when a home's been destroyed or when someone's abusive, right? Oh, because absolutely. then they not only have to be caretakers, is they also have to become breadwinners, right? And those are the two kind of like topics we have put them into and I, I think you said it really nicely when you said you know like they don't not need to be a part of this and it's right because this is going to sound kind of weird anybody can be a man yes that's right? true that's so and that, any, you're exactly right anybody can be a man and but only women can be women and that's the thing that i think that we lose so much in our society and where we are today is because we've lost we've lost what a woman is so let, to speak let, let me be really clear in this situation, in in the short term, for the next sure. five minutes, anybody can be a man. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Anybody sure. can take charge. Anybody can fire the gun. Anybody that that I'd agree with. Over the long term, I disagree with that concept. But regardless, I, I think you make a point. I think it's the same reason why every girl is attracted to a guy that's taller than her. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's because, you know, there's just that innate desire or whatever. But, um, you know, there, there, there's limits and there's, there's, there's point zero zero one percent. You know what I mean? But I I get what you're saying. Well, the flip Um, side of it is that I cannot be a woman right now. I can't spend the next five minutes birthing a child or becoming exactly, exactly right. Like the, the inverse is far less achievable. Then, you can't nourish an infant with your. You can't nourish an infant with your body. Well, like, that's not. That's never going to be something you can do. I've actually been thinking about that a lot, Hunter. I think that no. I have a. Okay, all right. We'll just skip no. that. Maybe a different show. <laughs> Maybe a different show. <laughs> Anyhow, no. But you're exactly right. Like people, anyone can take charge, in the short term, and do a decent job. I think mm-hmm. when you look at fatherless households, it's yeah. obvious that there's something there that we're not accounting for. But but your point's still well received. Um, it could just simply be, Christopher, that it's too much for one person to be both a man and a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why you see fatherless households so so torn apart is because it's one person having to wear both hats. I, I would also say that it's too much for uh, I would say it's too much for a woman to be a man all the time. Um, that well, it's I, yeah, it's well, probably well, too much for a man. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it, for certain. I would say that. Yeah, but I would say that we're much better at it. And there's there's both spiritual, physical, and mental reasons for that. Um, sure. I don't think, for instance, I don't think a two-woman household is sure. effective for child raising like a, like a man-woman household, right? Sure, sure, um, sure. Re- regardless of that, yeah, the women's, they have, they have far stricter borders around mm-hmm. what makes them unique than what, what a man does. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, there's, there's the soft version and the hard version of those, which men have almost none of the hard version, right? Right, um, right, exactly. Anyway, so let's go back to the quadrant briefly yeah, to discuss. I, oh no, that was a really good aside and, and a really interesting, a really interesting little thought experiment because it, it, you know, it's so unpolitically correct in today's day and age to say that there's any differences between men and women, even mm-hmm. biologically. But to say to say mentally. And spiritually, there's differences in, in your abilities and your calling is grotesquely unpopular to say. And I think it warrants being said um, yeah. because because, well, look at the people around you who you would envy, who are successful, um, who are successful at raising children, who are successful in their jobs. And I, I think it I think it shows that there's a beautiful thing to be had in the partnership between men and women and and the the wild the wild chaotic side of femininity that gets civilized and nurtured by by the structure and and civility of man and the tyranny of man that gets softened and idealized and accurately directed by the fertile ground that is woman. I think it's I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm not judging anybody that doesn't choose to engage in that relationship. I just think that it's a beautiful idea that we shortchange today. Um man, we could talk for a while about that. Okay, so back to this idea of the quadrants. And so let's look at how the movie ends for each quadrant. Okay. Okay, for the worst quadrant, the easiest quadrant to identify that is the uh ineffective men with impure hearts and pure motives they all wind up with less yep. the, the douchebag neighbor got his car stolen the yep. dad uh got paid but lost his business um and the the idiot brother lost his gun and his job and his sister and pretty much everything i mean just everybody mm-hmm. resents him by the end of it 
Yep. Okay, you move over to you move up a column to the effective men with impure motives. They're all dead, right? And, right. and, and that's that's its own lesson. You, you right. live by the sword, you die by the sword, right? So right. Th- I think that I think that is perfectly acceptable. Then you move down to the the quadrant for ineffective men with pure motives. This is Bob Odenkirk's son in the film. What right. does he end up with? Well, he ends up with a couple of different things. You know, there's this lovely little scene where after the, Bob goes out and has the fight with the Russian mobster and a couple of other kids, mm-hmm. um, he comes back and he pat, he's covered in scars and his whole family is like, okay, this used to be a wet dishcloth that lived in this house. And now mm-hmm. there's this grinning victorious lion that moved in. Right. And right. they don't know exactly how to handle him. And he ruffles his kid's hair and tells him what a good tackle it was and how it was good for him. And yeah. you start to see yeah. the respect in that relationship starts turning around. And what happens to the kid who's ineffective with impure motives is that he finds role models who are effective that he can look up to who can teach him to be effective like them. So he, he finds himself with the right intentions. He finds himself on a path towards effectivity and honestly that's in a certain sense that's what's growing up that's what growing up is for for a a boy i think that's what becoming a man is like it's in its idealized state it's you're pointed in the right direction you have the right desires you want to raise a family you want to protect women you want to carve off a little piece that you can use to to provide for a tribe and you just are too small or not experienced enough to affect that yet and so he he starts to because his intentions are correctly set he starts to become a man and then the final category which is bob odenkirk his father his adopted brother um, but mostly bob we'll talk about they the entire world is opened up before them um it wasn't pleasant while it was happening right it cost you some blood and some time but probably a tooth (laughs) yeah but now you own the business right? and you can provide even better for your family. You, you have, your wife has even more of what she desires. You have, you have a reinvigorated love life, which, you know, some of the, the biologic essentialists would say is the entire purpose of existing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, you have, a family that respects you. You have a new home. You have safety. You reconnected with your family in a very direct and visceral and violent way that involved a claymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, the whole world lays itself out in front of you, and that's why I think it's such a good movie to watch with your with your critical glasses on and and your your intellectual philosophical glasses on, and it's also enjoyable, but it's also incredible that it even got made because it's, it's such a thorough rebuke of the prevailing idea of toxic masculinity, especially in Hollywood. And it's such a true poignant, accurate story about what can be achieved when men and women and their families and society learn to integrate that, which is often denigrated as toxic masculinity into, into their lives, into them, their selves, into their homes and into their communities. It, it's a thorough trashing of the idea that society's woes are due to the shortcomings or proclivities of men, much the opposite. And so for that reason, I think it's worth seeing. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think, I think, you know, one of the interesting things I think about uh, in the quadrant of Bob Odenkirk dumb uh, in this movie is the fact that w- what, what really happens to Bob, and I think he's the only character that has this happen in the movie, is he actually is someone different at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. he, 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 he's, he's one of the, and his, this is true of his brother. This is true of uh, his adopted brother. This is true of his grandfather too, right? They were almost in a dead place and they come back to life, you know, in a metaphorical sense. And uh, almost in a physical, literal sense with the father, with Bob Odenkirk's father. Yeah. 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 yeah right. Because he was like trapped in a chair. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like there, there is this like rebirth that happens and there is that line where he says, you know, where he basically says how much he's missed this, the, the, the grandfather, right. Uh, or the older, uh, figure he turns to marty mcfly and goes i really like going back in time i think i, I think that's yeah. what he said uh, i can't remember that's what i heard in my heart <laughs> basically uh, yes and and so uh okay so and then the other thing is this is why you do not ever censor art right mm. because I, who knows what these guys intentions are whether it was to make a lot of money off this movie whether it was to even promote uh, a liberal agenda, you know, whatever it is that we would not like on this show, right? We, we, we don't know what their intentions are. Um, whether it was just like, you know, isn't shooting people fun? People like shooting people. Let's just shoot people, right? Wh- whatever it was, something really cool is here in this movie. Something really like true about human nature and human biology and human relationships and human spirituality is all captured in this stupid action movie, right? And that's why you don't censor. That's why as any type of person trying to control the crowd, like they want to stop art from happening, right? They want to prevent it because they know how it can be effective. In fact, one of my favorite things I learned about Mao Zedong is that he was so angry with his artists because they couldn't do anything beyond propaganda. And he's like, if you don't get this right, if you don't do something that actually shows the power of the communist regime in China, right, in, the, in an artistic sense, it will never make it, was his whole idea. And, you know, it's one thing that the Russians got right to some extent in the, in the USSR. For sure. Um, and, and it's, but, you know, it, it, it matters. And it matters when people are telling you no. And it matters, this is the weird thing about art, it matters even when you don't know what it is you're doing. Absolutely. Right. And, in and fact, that, I think some of the best art, people go, oh, well, what did you mean by this? And it, what they meant is either far inferior or not complete compared to what people inferred from mm-hmm. interacting with it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's a really good point, Hunter. And, and uh, let me defend. Let me preemptively defend that viewpoint this way. Yes. Did we do an episode where we trashed Cardi B and Lil Nas X? Absolutely, we did, and we would do it again. It is not, it is not censorious right. to say that you don't like art and it's crap, and yeah. that kids shouldn't engage with it, and it shouldn't be targeted to kids. Yes. None of that is censorious. What's funny is you actually tip your hand as being a censorious, censorious loser when, as soon as somebody says something negative about a piece of art or an article or an outlet or something like that, you go, "Oh well, I thought free. I thought you liked free speech." Yes, I do. You absolute moron. The right. same free speech that let them say stuff I don't like lets me say I don't like it. Exactly We're, right. I, it's a completely separate argument. So I just, I think it's so funny that my brain goes to that immediate error. leftist reaction, and it's a, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a total category error. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just thought I'd say that. No, that's great, dude. 
Um, well, FNX fit. I, I was going to say, if you find yourself personally having pure intentions and a pure heart and a noble cause, but ineffective in your ability and your masculinity, so as to affect that cause and make the world lay itself out before you so that you can pick from any daisy or daffodil that you might find fancy and be able to provide it with a vase full of perfectly nutritious and tepid water to let it grow and bloom and flourish, then what you need is FNX fit. The only reason that Bob Odenkirk was able in that movie to revitalize his marriage, his family, and his soul was because he had mad gains. And one has to assume that he got those gains from FNX Fit. So I would encourage all of our listeners right now to peel your weak and pasty forearms off of the couch, proceed immediately to a computer terminal, type in carlpooling.com slash FNX, buy as much as you can possibly afford. Uh, truly, there is no supplement that you would not benefit from. Uh, have you seen yourself? Seriously, have you have you seen yourself? Have you seen yourself? And it's you're going to tell disgusting. You're going to tell me that you don't need anabolic weight metabolizers if that's are, a thing? Are you telling me that you can beat Bob Odenkirk in a fight? Are you telling me that you're even remotely hydrated right now? Are you telling me that you don't have ginger almond snap apple cider gummies? I don't think they make that, but it's close. You're not in a full state of ketosis. You're not even a full state of consciousness. You pasty, (laughs) stiff, ashy waste of a space. You are a grease stain on the bag of the, the, the... KFC takeout menu drive through you you are you are nothing but 13 different secret spices and sadness I don't know if that landed or not and at this point I'm too upset to care go to carlpooling.com slash fnx buy yourself a cavalcade a cornucopia of supplementation and then use checkout code carlpooling at checkout that'll give you 15% and it also throws a little love our way Thanks for joining us again. This is a, uh, a fun episode. I think it's really amazing, Hunter, how the world opens up to you when you are looking a little bit deeper than the surface. And that's definitely what I felt going into this movie is that uh, this movie was a fun action movie, but it's unendingly interesting if you're willing to invoke the archetypal and the formaic and not just not just in a way that's looking for patterns where there aren't, but just allow allow the symbolic to become part of your understanding, especially of abstractions like art. So I hope you all listening enjoyed that. And if you have a movie that you think would fit into that category, feel free to email us at carlpooling at gmail.com. Tell us what you saw, and maybe we'll talk about that or have an episode about that. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, spoiler alerts for nobody. Oh yeah, spoiler! Big spoiler! Hunter, thanks for remembering that. It's always nice to have a spoiler alert, so I'm glad we incorporated that. And that's the show. You can follow us at Carl Pulling on all the socials. Follow Hunter at Emotional Carl. Follow me at Chris X Carl, and leave us a review on iTunes. Again, we don't care about you or your opinion or your life or even until until, until. you leave us a review. And uh, if that's you've right. already left one, we're looking for fake accounts all the time. It's really easy. All you need to all do is create a free email address on Gmail. Is that fraud? I don't know. If it is, I'm joking. Anyhow, you guys stay safe out there. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next time. And remember, especially if you've been engaged in some type of 
violent entanglement with a Russian mob where it's possible that you might have swapped bodily fluids no. with victims as blood was splashing on you Why? and this your blood is... was splashing on them. It's imperative oh. for the safety of you and your family that you get tested. I'm still recording as I save. That's what I'm supposed to do, right?